Hello and welcome to episode number 11 of the Performer on Record podcast. Uh, I am your host. Uh, my name is Ben and I'm the editor of Performer magazine. And uh, as you've no doubt figured out, this is our official podcast. If you haven't yet checked out uh, the first handful uh, episodes, go ahead and do that now. You can get them on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Amazon. If Google still has their podcast service, they seem to shut everything down. But if they do still have their podcast service, go ahead and check it out there. Today up on the show, we have uh, a really cool interview with a guitarist that uh, we are just, you know, over the moon about, uh, Cal the Thought Slayer. Um, we worked with him not too long ago on a project uh, for Elixir Strings. He was our Elixir Artist of the Month, and he's also in a really rad band that we'll get to talk about. So we definitely uh, suggest you stick around, listen to that, check out Cal on Instagram uh, and all of uh, the things that he's doing now because live music is coming back and I know that him and the band are, are doing a lot of live stuff again, which is awesome. Um, what's been going on in our world? Um, new issues coming out uh, all the time, every month. So if you get a chance uh, and you live in a major metro area with a good thriving music scene, chances are you'll see it for free. Uh, maybe at your local record shop, a local indie music venue, rehearsal spaces, uh, indie recording studios, things like that. So pick it up. It's free. Uh, it is still in print, and you can also head to performermag.com to check out the uh, digital edition. We put that up every month as well. It's a nice little interactive, flippy-type thing that you can uh, do on your computer or your tablet or your phone or whatever device you're currently using now or may not yet be invented. Anyway, um, other than that, you know, we're just trying to you know stick with it and survive the mess that is now spilling into 2021. Um most recently, I think the only real cool hardware type of development here in the office is we've been auditioning and testing out a lot of different decks. Um, so if you're into stereo gear, hi-fi stuff, uh, and you're doing a lot of streaming, especially high-res streaming now that Apple Music's gone high-res and, and Tidal and uh, Kobuz are high-res and uh, Spotify, I think, is going lossless but not high-res lossless in the very near future. They're kind of cagey on the details there. Uh, but we've been testing out a number of different digital to analog converters in our stereo rack because we listen, obviously, to a lot of tunes sent in by uh, readers and uh, labels and, and publicists um, looking for coverage in the mag. And if we're getting more high-res stuff sent to us, it makes sense to have a good DAC in the system. Um, so we've been going back and forth between a couple different units here. Um, I've actually been gravitating more towards some old school designs. So back in the day when uh, the first CD players were hitting the market and, and digital analog converters were becoming a thing in the consumer space, um, mostly the designs were uh, these uh, resistor ladder type styles where, where you'd have um, what's called an R2R DAC, R-2R. So you'd have these series of resistors in, in, in pairs, one for the left channel, one for the right channel, and essentially they'd be multiples of each other. That's why you have R and then 2R, so two uh, times the value of that resistor. You'd have them going all the way up the chain, and somehow, I don't understand the technology behind it, but there's this whole switching on-off system for all the various 16 bits of wonderful information. Anyway, uh, suffice to say, that's a poor explanation for, for how uh, R2R DACs work. Um, but they were around for a while, and they kind of fell out of favor when, you know, technology evolved, things got cheaper, and eventually we got, you know, DAC on chip systems. So it's much easier just to pop a chip in from, uh, you know, Wolfson or 
Texas Instruments or or whoever doesn't really matter. And and this flavor of digital analog converter, which was much cheaper to produce, much easier, sounded good. You know, there were you know certainly no uh, problems with it. Um, but that's called Delta Sigma or Sigma Delta. You'll see it either way. And that predominantly has been the way that you've probably been listening to all of your audio uh, for the past uh, 20 years or so uh, is on those uh, DAC chip systems. So you've got one in your phone, you've got one in your laptop, you've got one in your TV, you've got one in your car, um, basically anywhere where you're hearing digital audio, um, there's a DAC in it. Um, even if you have an iPhone in the little three and a half millimeter dongle to connect normal headphones, uh, there's a little DAC in there. It's, it's teeny tiny and God bless the engineers who came up with it. But um, there is a digital analog converter in that little tiny dongle that comes with your phone. So anyway, we've been auditioning some old school designs because I've found after, you know, 20, 30 years of digital audio that I just prefer the sound of of those older style DACs, the way that they were originally um, engineered. And obviously we've come a long way um, so that you can actually instead of having discrete components, put all that stuff on a chip. Um, companies like Shit Audio out of the US are doing that with their multi-bit decks. So that's what I've been testing. And I've also been testing um, the Denifrips Ares 2, um, which shipped out of Singapore. Um, I will say that both are excellent. I preferred probably the Denifrips Ares 2 just slightly. I think it had a better soundstage. Um, the detail was probably very similar to the shit that I tested. And yes, that is their name. It's shit audio. Haha, ha, everybody laugh. What a great dad joke. Uh, S-H, no, S-C-H-I-I-T, I believe. Um, but it's pronounced just like you think it would be. Um, but we're testing out the Bifrost 2 multi-dac, uh, multi-bit DAC from them and comparing it to the to Denifrips Ares 2. Um, both are around the same price, six to seven hundred dollars. The, the the Denifrips varies a little bit just based on the exchange rate. Um, so it's in Singapore dollars, but if you order from the U.S., they'll obviously convert it. So it's about seven hundred to eight hundred bucks, depending on you know what's fluctuating in the in the market. But um, both are just amazing. And and after having suffered through not suffered that's a terrible word um, having used um, standard Delta Sigma decks um, in my CD players and in and, and converters over the past 20 years. It's just refreshing to kind of fall in love again with, you know, like my CD collection, for instance, which is all 16-bit 44.1, obviously, um, and uh, streaming audio, which I just plug my phone right into the DAC over USB. Um, I'm plugging the optical out of my old CD player, which, which has the DAC chip that I wasn't super thrilled with. Um, going optical over Toslink right into the Bifrost 2. Um, and it sounds fantastic. And the USB input that they've designed on the Bifrost 2 is awesome too. I know this kind of sounds like an ad for them. Um, they're not paying us uh, or anything. Uh, I, I kind of wish they would be great to have you on board as advertisers. Wink, wink. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're just kind of testing stuff out because we listen to so much music that it just makes sense for us to keep up and and make sure our gear is is in order. And I guess the thing that kicked this off is the analog stage of my old CD player, which I've had for about 20 years, the Cambridge uh, Audio D500 SE, just kind of uh, crapped out. Um, I don't know why it became very intermittent over the past couple of years where it would just stop outputting analog audio over RCA randomly, like once a week, it would just stop outputting. Um, so I was like, all right, you know what? I'd never really loved the sound of this. It's okay. 
Um, I've had much better CD players, um, but once we put the new DAC in the system, it just breathed new life into it. So the, the Cambridge right now is just being used as a transport exclusively, uh, optical into the Bifrost 2, uh, out to our Harman Kardon 430 receiver, which has been recently serviced. Um, it's been in constant operation since the 70s. Uh, I'm the second owner of it, and it just sounds fantastic. So Anyway, long-winded way of saying, yeah, we've been doing a lot of uh, DAC swapping here, um, playing around with stuff, and we've tried a couple other things that I wasn't super thrilled with. I'll mention them briefly here. Uh, a topping D50S, which was okay. Um, just okay. It sounded a little kind of clinical for my taste. Uh, the the, the Bifrost 2 and the Denifrips Aries just sounded much more musical and more natural, so... I think, uh, yeah, it just comes down to a preference. I like the R2R style. Um, Shit Audio seems to do it on a chip. Uh, I think they're repurposing old, or not old, but um, uh, ICs that were made for the medical profession and just repurposing them and re-engineering them for audio because um, I don't think they make those types of chips anymore for audio markets. Um, and the Denifrips is uh, all discrete components. If you pop the hood on that, it's actually kind of impressive to see all the uh, individual components in a giant uh transformer and you know all the resistors and stuff in rows so anyway um enough of me yapping if you're looking to get into dax uh to do streaming audio or just to maybe improve if you have a cd collection i know most of you probably don't uh at this point in time but um it's well worth looking into it can really breathe some new life into your digital rig at least um anyway Let's get on with the show. We'll take a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll go right into the interview. So stay tuned. Before we jump into that interview, I do want to thank our premier sponsor, Elixir Strings, for sponsoring this podcast and each and every episode of Performer on Record. Uh, Elixir is uh, the only string that we use here at Performer because their protective coating keeps our guitar and bass strings full of life better than any other brand we'd have ever tried. And when we're reviewing stomp boxes and guitars and amps and recording gear for each uh, of our issues, we don't want anything distracting us from that job, uh, especially the hassle and expense of constantly changing out our gross, corroded strings. And believe me, I don't know what's going on with the pH in my fingers, but uh, normal, uncoated strings just don't last here in the office. Uh, and we don't want anything getting in the way of you making your music either. So say goodbye to the gross corrosion and dirt and sweat and oil buildup and use Elixir strings. Trust us, their proprietary featherweight coating acts as a really great barrier against tone-killing buildup on your guitar strings, allowing you to get lost in your music. All right, so we are back, and without any further ado, let's hop into that interview with Cal the Thought Slayer and uh, hear more what he has to say on all things guitar. Um, so how are you doing? Doing very good. How you been? What have you been up? What have you been doing? Oh, just trying to uh, survive a global pandemic, which is always fun, huh? Right, yeah. <laughs> So what I want to do is um, kind of get an overview of um, you as an artist, kind of where you come from, what you're up to now. Um, possibly if you know what you're up to in the future, that'd be great. But um, yeah, this is just kind of um, a quick interview for maybe folks who aren't so familiar with your music to kind of get them to um, be more familiar and get to know you a little bit better. And um, we'll see where the conversation takes us. Okay. Yeah, I'm down. Appreciate it. Cool. So I know you are currently in uh, 
Arizona, is that correct? Yep. So have, I'm in Arizona. So have you been there your whole life, or is that uh, just kind of where you're situated now? No, nope, this is where I was born and raised, Arizona. So I've got to ask, what is the uh, what is the music scene like out there? Because I know very little to nothing about kind of the Southwest. It's pretty much uh, it's like a free for all because like, Arizona isn't known for anything. Like, you go to LA, and I feel like there's like a like a standard or like something like a genre to expect out there. Same with New York, I feel like there's a whole like uh, scene out there. But Arizona isn't known for anything, so there's just like a, a melting pot of like. Um, you know, different genres. It's a mix of like, there's like a good metal scene out here. There's a pretty good hip hop scene out here. Really? And there's okay. like, you know, indie music. And it's, it's just like a big mixing pot. So it's like you can kind of do whatever out here and you'll find a, a you know, a group of people that interest, interest your uh, type of music. So I think Arizona's really cool because a lot of people come here and it's just like, varieties of different type of people here so it's really cool to just you can just play whatever here cool what what got you into music in the first place i mean was there was there like a live scene there that you were going to or were you just kind of hearing records as a kid what what did it for you no nope, it was just guitar hero <laughs> i was at walmart and i was lost and i was like 12 or something 12 or, and i couldn't find my mom and i seen that the demo for guitar hero and i picked it up and i sucked at it and then um I figured it out, and I was like, wow, this is actually really fun. And my mom actually got it for me for Christmas, and I played it, got super good, could play it on the highest difficulty. And then my dad got me a, um, a real guitar and got me lessons at a mom and pop shop and taught me how to read. And that's what kind of got me into all different kinds of genres because I kind of like grew an appreciation for a different type of music as I was learning. Because when I first learned at the mom and pop shop, I learned um rock music which was completely brand new to me and that's what caught my ear because i was grew up you know and um in a black family and we mainly my family mainly listened to like old town and hip-hop and old school stuff so that was what i was used to hearing so rock was totally new to me so it was uh it was like wow this is cool all this new sounds and things i've never heard before so i i started on the rock and then got into college or high school and my dad wanted me to learn how to read so he took me in classical and i learned how to read and, and gained appreciation for classical got into indie music in high school so i liked indie music when i got into college i, I got into i took a jazz improv class and got more into r&b so i just learned all these genres and just like wanted to you know make the most of it well, there's a couple interesting things you said. Number one is the Guitar Hero thing, because I remember when Guitar Hero first hit the market, the guitar industry in general was really scared. They were like, okay, well, kids are just going to play this. No one's ever going to pick up a guitar again. It, they saw it as a real threat, but I think what we've seen over the years is almost the exact opposite. Like People who kind of grew up on that game, a lot of them actually went on to, you know, buy guitars and actually learn how to play the real instrument. So I think it's interesting that, that you come from that kind of background too. Yeah, I, I think it's for sure. And I feel like all the, all the music games. Now you, you, you also mentioned like almost every genre under the sun kind of influencing you as you, as you were coming up and even into high school and college, which is, not surprising listening to your music because there's quite a mix of of stuff that you do not only in your your own work but with the band that you're in which we'll get to in a minute so if you had to kind of describe your style what what would you tell people that that you 
Cal uh, do as a guitar player? Man, like you said, I tell him I do everything under the sun. I'd probably say I do a mix of, I guess, my solid, my bass, bass that I mainly do is like, you know, rock metal and like R&B jazz stuff. I think that's the most stuff I like to play on the guitar. I I would say too, from an outsider's perspective, um, I I hear a hip hop element in there too. In some of the rhythmic phrasing that you do, I don't know if that's a conscious thing or if that's just seeped into the way that your phrasing works out. But um, I, I I hear that, and I definitely hear the jazz element too when you're playing phrases. So, um, is there is there any sort of hip hop influence that you're aware of or conscious of, or is that just kind of like seeped into the melting pot of of all the things that you do yeah i guess it's like sublimely i'm actually doing that because when i when i'm usually praising and putting things together i usually um uh reference uh like uh what do you call it like cadences and things uh-huh. from hip-hop songs so usually yeah it's kind of based off of like little catchy licks and things i've heard from Absolutely, because I think one of the things that guitar players will get stuck in is this rut where they're just listening to the same things over and over again, and it's all very similar, so they end up just kind of regurgitating what they're hearing, and they sound almost exactly like what they're hearing. So there's just a sameness to all of it. Whereas people who ingest a lot of different stuff end up with a more unique style because they're mixing different elements and their phrasing takes bits and pieces from here and there. So it's not, you know, the same old cookie cutter stuff you've heard a thousand times, especially in the metal world where people can definitely fall into that trap of, you know, playing the same sweet pick patterns over and over again and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, people do that a lot. Like, I noticed a lot of bands, like, or a lot of people, like, there's a band called Tron, you know, Tron, they play, like, a lot of math rock music, and I know a lot of people that listen to them, they'll end up creating music that sounds exactly like I them. know, like, exactly. It's like, dang, like, I mean, it's cool and all, but it's like, you sound like, I, if you put the record on, I would think it's Tron, and you don't want that, you don't want people to think you're another artist. No, exactly. And that's one of the hard things as a guitar player. It's sometimes you think, okay, everything's already been done. But then you hear someone come out and you're like, oh, okay, everything hasn't been done. They're taking this and this, and then they're doing something really cool with it, which I think we're almost in like a renaissance period now where I'm hearing a lot of different things that I hadn't heard before. And I think there was a lull maybe for the past, I don't know, 10 years or so where there just wasn't anything like new being developed and now I'm seeing a lot of people do really unique things. And I don't know if YouTube is helping people just kind of find different techniques or, or what. You're, you're probably a bit younger than I am. So I don't know if you can speak to that. If YouTube is a vehicle for, for younger players or, or where they're getting these things from. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think social media and the internet have a big part in, like, you know, seeing all these things. Because, you know, like, when Guitar Hero came out early, like, you know, like 2007, or like Guitar Hero 3 came out in 2007, and, like, when that was when when rock was I feel like really big around that time, I just feel like it was just they were just pushing like you know whatever the mainstream rock was and like um yeah I I mean even growing I mean uh, even growing up into playing guitar like I feel like it was all like I would hear the same stuff and just like everyone was just playing the same 
you know, rock rhythm pattern stuff. So I feel like, yeah, the internet's for sure. Like, you get to see all these guys. Like, oh, who are these guys? They're doing these crazy new patterns. Like, I want to learn that. And it's like almost a tutorial for anything on the internet. So I think the internet has played a big role. Because before, you, if you wanted to learn someone's technique, you'd have to, like, I don't know, buy their music, their music uh, book or get a CD, maybe try to get a CD with their lessons on it. But now it's like lessons are everywhere. Well, I'm, I'm going to feel real old because I'm going to tell you how we used to do it. Is we used to buy the record and we'd slow it down <laughs> on the turntable. And that's how we would try to pick out, you know, different licks and phrases and stuff. We'd actually have to set the speed lower and see if we can figure stuff out. But, yeah, I, I think that YouTube in, in particular has helped a lot of younger players really kind of find different things that they wouldn't have been uh, introduced to and actually demonstrating to them just how to do it because it's hard to pick out technique on a record like you can hear the notes but seeing someone actually doing it especially seeing their left and right hands both work together i think is just invaluable um getting back to to your stuff the band that you've been a part of um obviously mirrors some of the really eclectic stuff that you've been doing so maybe you can talk to us a little bit for those who aren't familiar um with Color 8 and what you guys um, have been up to, maybe how you got together and what sort of stuff you've been putting together with the band. Well, my band, the Color 8, I, it was my idea to form the band because uh, as soon as I got out of college, I was like, okay, because, you know, like, you know, like every genre has specific, you know, skills and technique you need to learn. Like there's certain things you would do with metal that you wouldn't necessarily use with jazz or, you know, any other genre so like since i learned a little bit of technique from all these genres i was like man i want to use all this i was like i want to I start a band and they're like well what kind of band do i start because if i start a rock band i'm gonna be stuck playing rock music and i'm like yeah. oh, i can't i, I want to play some jazz sometimes but it's like you know like the way everything the way everything is now it's just like oh we're in a rock band oh you can't play jazz no go play that go in the corner of your go in your room and play that stuff like we only play this you know and it's like I hated being labeled and being confined to one thing, so I was just like, I'm going to start a band where we just play every genre. <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, <laughs> every musician that I had, I had recently met through, like, events and open mics and stuff, and I told them, come over, and let's just let's just play. Let's just play something. And growing up in high school, I was actually in, like, you know, a little high school metal band, and, and that was cool, um, but we just mainly played metal the whole time, and you know, it was a lot of, like, one person would write all the music out and stuff. So, when we all met up, and I, we jammed for the first time, we made, like, three songs the first time we ever played. And I was like, what the heck? Like, we just all started playing. Like, I was so used to the, the metal way of writing where one person just writes everything and everyone learns it. And it was just, like, so cool for uh, It was just so, like, free feeling for me just to start playing the guitar. And then everyone just joins in and just creates something instantly, you know? yeah. I, I've got to imagine, I mean, I'll tell you how it is here in, in New England. Trying to get gigs booked, I mean, a lot of venues and clubs, or at least when they were open, um, are, are very specific in their focus. You know, there's the club that only books metal acts. There's the club that only books, you know, touring indie rock bands. And there's the club that only books like folk singer songwriters. I don't know what it's like where you are, but I would imagine, and you can probably tell me otherwise, is it difficult to book gigs or even a small tour as a group that, you know, isn't pigeonhole pigeonholed into one specific thing? Or or how do you find that process working out for you? 
kind of. I think at first we were very spread out in what we were playing. You know, we would go from like we'd be playing reg or you know reggae stuff to going to like a metal song to like a jazz R&B song. It was it was really everywhere. I think now we've confined it a lot more. And uh, but you're, yeah, it's, the scene is like that too out here. I feel like there's like there's venues out here that'll do like mainly metal and hip hop, and then there's venues that'll mainly do like indie bands, rock bands, and it's kind of like a blessing and a curse because it's kind of hard sometimes yeah. for us because we send them our music and they're like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff on here. But then sometimes it helps because we can hop on almost any festival or any tour. Like, oh, it's oh, it's, a, it's like an R&B tour. Yeah, we can hop on that. Oh, that's, it's a metal tour. We can, we can play. We have enough music. For that's metal. a good point. Okay. I, I hadn't actually thought of that. You guys are probably more versatile and, and can jump on anything more than uh, most bands, I would imagine then. Yeah, it, it, I mean, at first it was tough because we didn't have enough material for just <laughs> one solid genre. But at yeah. this point, we can play all of. If we hopped on a reggae festival, we just play reggae for <laughs> an hour. We could do that. <laughs> I guess it's a it's a good quality to have in a band. You can pretty much, you know, uh, be almost chameleons and, and do anything you want. Um, let's let's talk about your guitar in particular because. Um, for those who don't know, Cal uh, worked with us on a couple of videos that we put together um, with Elixir Strings. Um, thank you once again for, for helping us out there. Um, thank you. If I recall correctly, when you strung up that guitar, it was one of the newer Charvel models. Is that right? Or am I mistaken? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was Charvel's. So for those who don't know, tell us why the Charvel. Because, I mean, someone... In your shoes, who plays a lot of different stuff, I would imagine you're looking for a versatile guitar. So what what drew you to that, and what are some of the things you like about it best? Well, I had, I had originally started off, first. the first guitar I got was an uh, Ibanez, and that was the first guitar I'd been playing on, and it's really dope, and I felt like it was versatile, and I could play metal on it, and I could play, you know, smooth chords, smooth R&B chords on it. So I was, I needed another guitar, and mainly I wanted a guitar with a whammy bar, and mine, because mine wasn't, mine did not, my Ivan doesn't have a whammy bar, so I wanted one with a whammy bar, so I looked at a... <laughs> I looked at a few different guitars with whammy bars, specifically not with the Floyd Rose because that's a mess and I didn't want to fool. Oh, we're gonna convert you to we're gonna convert you to Floyd Rose. We're gonna convert you. I swear, it's the best thing on the planet. <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. I remember having one. I had one in high school in the metal scene, and it was just like yeah, but they never go out of tune. Yeah, but you pop a string, then it's all out of tune. All right, we'll we'll work on you, but go on, go on. <laughs> so that was what I was looking for. I was looking for something with a whammy bar and something without um, without a Floyd. Without a Floyd, and I was looking for something without a pink guard because I had a guitar. I won't say the, the brand name, but I'll say I tr I tried getting the guitar and it had a uh, a pink guard on it and. Two times the pink guard just bubbled up on me, like it just bubbled up, like I had it in the sun or something, and I did it. It was in my house all the time. My house is regular condition, air conditioned, and it bubbled up on me. And I, you know, I took it back. I was like, hey, this thing, this, this the pink guard is like bubbling up on me. And they're like, oh yeah, we had a few of them like this that came in, and they gave me another one, and it did the same thing. So I was like, I don't want that guitar. So, so now I was looking for a guitar. No pit guard, no Floyd Rose, and a whammy bar. And I came across the Charvel kind of on accident. You know, I was just at the guitar store, and I saw it, and I liked how slender it was. I said, well, this is really nice. 
and I played on it, and it just felt it felt great. And it had the whammy bar, and that's what drew me to it. The sleek design on it, the the roasted maple neck sounds so dope because I was used to playing on rosewood, and the maple kind of gives it a bright tone, but the roasted maple gives it a little like mix in between the two, and I really like that sound. And that specific model I have has a coil tab, so I can switch from humbucker to single coil. Oh, that's nice. I, yeah. Yeah, I really like that for the cleans. I like to switch to single coil for clean because I get that little spanky sound. So the roasted maple for you probably is even better because when they take all of the moisture and stuff out of it, when they bake it, it's like rock solid. I mean, that, that neck is not going to move. And for someone in your climate, I would imagine that's probably a really, really big benefit of not having to readjust the neck like every three to six months because it's, you know, bowed or, or moved on you. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right, because it makes it a lot more stable. It, it has locking tuning pegs on it and a lot, bunch of other stuff keeping it stable. So it's really solid, and it's just, yeah, I, I love playing on it. It's uh, I feel like it has it sounds nice and hot when the, I have the leads on, and it's nice and smooth in, in the clean channel. So it's just overall, yeah, I love that guitar. It's really nice and easy to play on. It's light. That's another, I hate. I don't like heavy guitars. I know those old. People like they go on these like Les Paul forums and they're like, I won't look at anything under 12 pounds. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I don't want a guitar over like six pounds. <laughs> yeah, forget that. Like those, uh, those, those guitars, uh, I forgot how to say it, the Steinberg or something. Like, yeah. Those ones, those things are super light. Yeah, Kiesel makes one now that is headless and it weighs like four pounds and, and people are yeah. loving those things. I don't know if you've played any with like the fanned frets, the angled frets. I've um, seen them, but no, I've never played them. People are really getting into those. And I saw them when I went to NAM, uh, last, well, not this year, but last year when NAM was still um, running. And they actually feel pretty natural. I mean, you would think that it's going to be awkward to, to play and the fingering is going to be all off, but you don't really notice it that much. So I've seen a lot of people going for headless and that kind of multi-scale fan fret, whatever you want to call it. I've seen it a lot in the um, like the progressive metal scene. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it anywhere else. I've seen it in the progressive scene. Um, I've seen it actually pop up more and more in um, kind of the indie world too, which I didn't think because I thought those guys would be a little bit more traditional. Um, yeah. But it's 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 creeping in everywhere, which is which is interesting. I think once people play it, maybe they they really drawn to the benefits. Um, I don't know. I was just curious if you, if you had taken a look at that or, or not, because it's kind of like the new trend. And, and, uh, no, I haven't. Yet. I would want to play on them, but I haven't yet. Um, I also really like the color of your Charvel, too. That blue is kind of nice. Yeah, I picked that because I had kind of seen, after I uh, tried it out, I looked it up and all the specs and stuff on it, and I seen a lot of people had the pink one, and yeah. I was going to get the pink one. But I was like, no, everyone has a pink one. So I was like, let me get one. The least one I've seen people with was that blue, that matte blue. And, it, and it's matte. So I like the matte because you get the the shiny guitars and like you can clean it up. And as soon as you touch it, it just has fingerprints. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I, I, I'd love to hear kind of what your plans are going forward, either, you know, for yourself or for the band. I know where we are right now, we're recording this in early 2021, where maybe there's hope on the horizon that things will get back to normal soonish, but I don't know if a lot of artists have plans or what their plans are, or if plans are on hold. So I'd love to hear what, what your perspective is on kind of 
what the state of the band is and what you guys are planning on doing moving forward. Well, during this whole pandemic, we were, you know, at a standstill. We went from playing shows every weekend to nothing. So, like, we had to, like, you know, adapt to that. So we were like, okay, we can't do shows. What can we do right now? Mainly we worked on, like, you know, recording new music, having that ready for whenever everything opens back up. So we're going to have music for that. And then also we've been working on our business stuff. So, like, just, you know, the boring stuff that no one teaches you how to do as a musician, like, get get our LLC right get our tax number yeah. you know, get our business account all that boring stuff and our merch and websites so we've been doing that so we can be official online online and stuff in um in arizona what are the restrictions like as far as like indoor gatherings and live stuff because here in, in new england everything is pretty much you know shut down and i know a couple states are opening up but i don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods arizona so it was mainly like I forget, like, restaurants and gyms and stuff are, like, 50% capacity or something, but our governor just opened up full capacity for most places. So everything, there's no capacity limit. You still have to wear masks inside built places, but it's full capacity. So I think there might be hope. I don't know any word on the venues yet, but it's everything's full capacity now so everybody's every place you go to now is jam-packed full of people all right well i think there's hope on the horizon it seems like you know they're ordering more and more doses of the vaccine and i think more and more people will be you know inoculated and they're looking to you know get this thing under control hopefully this year so i'm hoping live music comes back um our our readers and you know speaking personally i know i've missed it i know the bands have missed it so, you know, I hope you guys are able to, to get back into the swing of things sooner rather than later. Um, before we go, um, where can people find you and the band online? Where are the best places to, uh, to connect with you guys? Just look up at, um, or, well, yeah, look up at The Color 8 Band anywhere. You'll find all my band stuff. You'll find me. I'm right there. I'm right there in the bio. So, just look that up at the coloring band on anywhere spotify youtube uh instagram anywhere yeah instagram cool everywhere all right we even have a little tiktok but yeah oh come on you gotta do the tiktok dances (laughs) no we won't scoot that low we'll just throw covers on there we'll see where you're at in three months how low how low you stoop if things get worse (laughs) in the uh pandemic I'll, i'll see you on tiktok So if you want to find Cal uh, or Color 8, um, just do the search. You'll find them everywhere. Um, his Instagram is really cool because he does a lot of playing demos. So that's a really good place to, to give him a listen. But I want to say thank you so much for, number one, helping us out with the Elixir Strings videos. Those were really cool. So if folks haven't seen those, head to the Performer YouTube channel. Um, and, yeah, Cal, thanks so much for, for talking to us. We hope you know things get better. You guys are able to play live again and you know we'll be able to catch up with you again in the future all right well that'll do it for episode 11 thanks for joining us uh if you made it this far i appreciate it uh hopefully you learned a little bit about dax early on hopefully you learned a little bit about cal and his amazing guitar playing um you'll note that that interview um was taken earlier in the spring or summer um 
We obviously have uh, <laughs> had some developments in this country uh, since then as far as uh, things opening up, things closing back, masks coming on, masks going off, um, all those sorts of things may have changed since our conversation and are frankly still changing. So whenever you're listening to this, maybe it's a little time capsule of the past or maybe things have gotten worse and we're in a hellish landscape of doom and fire. Who knows? Uh, enjoy it for what it's worth, and we'll see you next time on episode 12. Until then, uh, take care and stay kind. <laughs>